us to experience and celebrate joy. During this season, we see the love of God on display in a manger in Bethlehem. The joy of this first advent offers a view of Christ to the world that the world might otherwise miss altogether. A post-Christian and too often Christless Christmas misses the true joy of the season. In Luke's gospel, Mary offers a prophetic expression of praise and calls us to magnify the Lord. As we recall the birth of Jesus, we lift up the majesty of God and celebrate the Lord that Mary magnifies. Our expression of praise stand as a light in the darkness. Please join me in this responsive reading as you together recite the words, follow the word all on the screen. As we celebrate the joy of Advent, we listen for God's voice. We listen for the proclamation that we have found favor with God. As we celebrate the joy of Advent, we watch for God's guidance in our daily lives. We recognize that we do not walk alone. The baby in the manger is a profound sign that God loves us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And for that, we sing God's praise. As we magnify the Lord, we extol the God who sent him, the woman who gave human life to him, and the person of Christ himself as we rejoice. So free. 
Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. This Sunday is the Sunday of joy, and if you need an extra shot of joy juice in your life, I mean that spiritually, this is the place to get it. Get an extra shot of that. Sometimes Advent can drain our joy. How many know what I'm talking about? We've got to keep our focus on that. And if you want to have a little bit of joy... Um, one of the ways to do that is to come back here at 5.30 tonight and watch the kids program. They've worked hard and they've prepared. And if you love kids and kids matter to you, whether you have kids or not, you'll come tonight and support the kids. Hallelujah. Make it a priority and be here and be part of that and uh, cheer them on. And I promise you something will happen that's not on the agenda. It always does. That's always the fun part. Well, we've been on this journey called Footprints in the Snow, that all of us are leaving footprints behind us that eventually will melt away when you become a forgotten person, just a name on the family tree. Uh, but while we're alive, we have a chance to leave footprints in the snow that others can follow. If we're going to lead people to hope, we're going to have to prepare for that journey. If we're going to if we're going to lead them to love, to discover God's son, pursuit is the focal point of that. It's a lifelong pursuit. And this morning, I want to challenge you to think about joy as being found in the presence of the Lord. Joy is found in his presence. The Bible says, <clears throat> you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How many of you know that the greatest source of joy is found in the presence of God. And Advent needs to be about remembering that he came looking forward to his coming and enjoying the joy that he has for us now. Amen? In his presence is fullness of joy. The shepherds rejoiced when they came to the stable and found this Messiah, the King of the Jews. 
The wise men rejoiced when they knew that they would eventually find the king. When they got instructions on where to go and the star returned, they were filled with joy. Everything about joy in the Advent story is about finding Jesus and being in his presence. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says that the angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. And we should be the kind of people that have experienced that and walk in that joy. One of the great prophetic proclamations of joy and rejoicing of Advent is found in Luke chapter 1 and is referred to as the Magnificat. It's the prophetic song of praise that Mary offers up while she's in the house of Elizabeth. Now remember, it's important to kind of capture the journey of Mary to this point when the angel appeared to her and told her that she was going to have a child. <clears throat> she was surprised at that and says, how will this be? Well, as one of the uh, signs to help her know how this would be, the angel said, Elizabeth, your relative will have a child that is in her sixth month. And Elizabeth was well beyond childbearing years, but said, you can know this will happen because Elizabeth is going to have a child. King James says it was a cousin. That word can mean cousin. It can also mean something broader than that. But it certainly was a relative. So she goes to see Elizabeth and stays with Elizabeth for three months. And when Mary walks in, the Bible says that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. There was an expression of God's presence in that encounter says that Elizabeth then was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, let me explain to you what that meant. That was before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens in the book of Acts. And the sign of the presence of God on people was ecstatic utterances. When Saul finds himself prophesying among the prophets, asked, was he also a prophet? Because that was a sign which then carries over into the New Testament with the ecstatic utterance that we would call speaking in other tongues and the gift of prophecy. It carries through that Old Testament um, or manifestation of the presence of God. So the Spirit of God comes on her. As would have been customary in Old Testament worship, Elizabeth begins to prophesy. And in response, the Spirit of God comes on Mary and she begins to prophesy. And we call that the Magnificat. She says, my soul glorifies and my spirit rejoices. That's a long ways from where Mary started this journey. And I want to suggest to you that there are three things that stand out in Mary's prophecy that should give us joy. I hope to, I hope to help you get there. Some of you look like you could use a little bit this morning. Oh, but I don't know what I'm going to buy for Christmas. I don't know. You know, you could do like one of our staff does who will remain nameless, Pastor Kevin. <laughs> Figures, why worry about it? Do it all Christmas Eve. Just get up and get it done on Christmas Eve. You, you don't have to worry. You only, and really, that makes sense. Why worry for 24 days when you can compress it down to one? I think that makes great sense. My wife doesn't think that makes sense, but... We all need to maintain joy during the pressure and the stress of the celebration of Advent. The first revelation that Mary gives that should help you and I have joy is this understanding. He is mindful 
of us. He is mindful of us. Listen to what Mary says. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. That word mindful is a really beautiful word. It has a wealth of meaning attached to it. It means to turn the eyes toward, to look upon, to gaze. It actually means to gaze, look upon, and have respect, to look at, to see, to be aware of, to be attentive toward. And it carries with it the implication of personal concern. He saw her humble estate. She recognizes where she was and recognizes that she had nothing to offer. That it was his mindfulness of her that brought her to this place of supernatural experience. So let me show you two other places that it's used in the New Testament that'll give you kind of the character of the word. In Luke chapter 9, it's only three places this word occurs. In Luke chapter 9, there's a man who comes to Jesus who has a demon-possessed son. And in verse 38, the man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. I beg you to look at my son. Now, how many of you know that he meant more than take a look at him? You know, when someone brings you a brand new baby, I got to meet some proud grandparents that have a new grandbaby with them this morning, got to meet a little new grandbaby, and they say, well, look at this child. How many know that they just want you to take a look? And are expecting you to say, this is a phenomenal child. (laughs) That's what grandparents expect. That's what I expect when you look at my grandkids to take a look and to be attentive. So more than that is wrapped up in this word with this man whose child is demon-possessed. Rather than saying, hey, take a look, it's more like you would take a sick child to a doctor and say, would you look at my child? How many know that you want more than a passing glance? You want awareness, you want attentiveness, you want that doctor to pay attention and to care like you care and to do something about it. That's what this word mindful means. It means that she, that he's asking, Lord, look at with attentiveness, with concern, with compassion, look at this child. It shows up again in James chapter 2 in a negative way. And the negative way also helps us understand the definition of the word. Warns us in James chapter 2, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, stand there or sit here by the floor that you're doing evil. To show special attention is the same word. So it means that a rich man walks in And you see him and you don't just give him a passing glance. You think that person has money. That person has influence. We need to treat them well. Oh, we're so glad that you came. Here, sit on the front row. Can we get you an extra coffee? Can we call out for some pizza? Can we, what is it that you want to do? He's saying that that word, that kind of attentiveness is wrong when it's done for self-gain or for respective persons, that it's wrong. But think about the emphasis of the word, that you're talking about giving someone attention. And so the Bible is saying, Mary is prophesying, that he, God, in this moment, was mindful of me. 
He gave me special attention. He paid attention to my experience, my life, my my moment in time and responded to me. And because of that, she says, all generations will call me blessed. Now think about what happens when God is mindful of you. She's in a place where she says, <laughs> I don't know if I can get this across you or not, where she is terrified about how shall this be? What is this all about? What's going to happen here? She's come so far in that journey that she says, prophetically, by the Spirit of God, all generations will call me blessed. Now think about that this morning. Imagine if I said to you this morning, this message is so good that all generations are going to call me blessed. How many of you would say, Pastor, we need to have a chat. We need to have a we need, to let a little, we need to let a little air out of your head. How do you get from this place of your humble servant to all generations will call me blessed? I'm telling you that she was aware of what God had done, that he was mindful of her. And when you recognize that he's mindful of you, you recognize where you are in your relationship with God. It's not based on you because you come from humble uh, beginnings and from a humble place, but from your humility, when you recognize that the God of the universe is thinking about you that ought to matter somehow don't you think that ought to matter somehow it ought to give us joy he is mindful of us his mindfulness of her <coughs> moved her from a place of confusion to a place of confidence some of you are in a place right now where spiritually you're confused you're in a place where you don't feel like you know what tomorrow's going to hold. You don't understand the circumstances around you. And all you need to see this morning, all you need to see is he is mindful of you. He's paying attention to you. He's looking at you with care and concern. And he has a plan for you. That ought to cause a little more rejoicing than I'm witnessing in this place this morning. He's mindful of us. David describes it with a different word in Hebrew in Psalm chapter 40. It's a beautiful picture of God being mindful of his people. Again, it's not the same word, but it's the same kind of picture. I tried to find out, I've tried to find out over the years what the circumstances were around David's life at the time that he wrote Psalm 40. And we don't really know. We just know that he goes through a really dark trial and he describes it as a slimy pit of mud and mire. How many of you have ever been in a place that you would describe your circumstances had become a slimy pit of mud and mire? What happened in that moment? I waited patiently for the Lord. <laughs> he turned to me and heard my cry. Now that's the NIV and that's really lame. It's not a good translation. He turned to me. The, the word really means, the King James says, he inclined to me. So, so you're in a pit of mud and mire. And he doesn't ask you to ascend to him. He says, I will come by and I will incline to you. 
I'll come down. Do you remember that old song? So you remember, he came down to my level because I couldn't come up to his. That's what that word means. He was attentive. He kneels down beside you. He's there in that pit of mud and mire with you. And when he inclined, God, the picture is beautiful. God bends down to David in the pit. And because he looked to him, thought of him, inclined to him, he lifted him up out of his darkness and pain. And in that, God changed his life. Psalm 8, chapter 4 gives us a similar picture What is man that you are mindful of him? You don't deserve his attention. You only deserve his attention because he chose to give attention to you. He's mindful. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him or visit him? God's blessing is rich and real when we understand that. We're blessed because he sees us. It is his attentiveness that changes us. And understand, please, church, grab hold of this this morning. Wherever you are and whatever you go through and whatever life feels like, you are never forgotten. 400 silent years go by, but God hadn't forgotten. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. When God's time was ready, understand that you are never forgotten. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, Be strong, courageous, do not be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 94 verse 14, The Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Hebrews chapter 13, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, Lord is my helper. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And Matthew chapter 28, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He's paying attention to you. And this morning... I'd suggest to you that we should have joy because he's mindful of us. Just like he was Mary. He's mindful of us. Second, Mary tells us in this prophetic declaration, not only is he mindful of us, he's mighty for us. (laughs) Uh, There's some people I don't care if they're mindful toward me. They can't do anything about my problem. Have you ever had someone say, oh, I'm, I'm and, I, and I get this, I like, when I'm feeling bad, I want someone else to say they feel sorry too. But saying, I, oh, I'm so sorry, doesn't change anything, does it? Or someone says, I'll be praying for you. Do you ever wonder if they really are? But someone who can do something about it. So let's suppose that you owe money Uh, on your house payment and you're in arrears and you don't know how you're going to pay it. You don't have any money. And you tell someone I'm broke and they're going to evict us on Monday. I don't know what we're going to do. And someone comes up to you and says, oh, I'm broke too. I feel your pain. Not helpful. But if someone walks up and says, you know, I just bet, I I set $5,000 aside And I asked God to show me what he wanted me to do with that. And so I'm going to give you a check 
of $5,000 to take care of your financial problem. Then I'm going to help you get in a financial planning class and we're going to help you find a job. Hello? I, I need someone that's not only mindful of me, but someone who can be mighty for me. Can do something about my dilemma. Can do something about the problem that I'm in. Mary says, the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. The mighty one has done great things for me. She describes God as the mighty one. She sees her conception and the birth of this child as a mighty thing that God has done. Again, the mindfulness of God has helped her see the mightiness of God that what he has done is a wonderful thing. She's been processing and faith leaps in her heart. This is not a bad thing that God's doing in my life. This is a good thing God is doing in my life. And she goes on in the Magnificat to celebrate the great things that God has done. Look at what she says. Not just that the Mighty One has done great things for me. She tells us that it is the nature of the mindful one to be mighty for us. He's performed mighty deeds with his arms. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things. He's sent the rich away empty. He does great things. And when you're in a place of struggle, let me tell you what you need to do. I don't say it like that very often, but once a Sunday. When you're discouraged... And you think God has forgotten you. Begin to recite the mighty things you know that he's done. Begin to say them out loud. He's done some pretty big stuff. Come on, help me this morning. He's done some pretty big stuff for all of us. Look at the world around us. Look at what God has done and just begin to enumerate those. And she has said, the God who is mindful of me has been mighty for me. And I see what he has done in this as a mighty thing because that's what our mindful God does. Our mindful God does mighty things. One of my favorite hymns that we used to sing, it's a hard one to sing. That's problem with some of the old hymns they were more con concert pieces than they were congregational pieces but you'll remember this I hope some of you remember this old Fanny Crosby song to God be the glory let me just read the lyrics to you and if you want to get them dance I'm I'm totally fine with that to God be the glory great things he has done so loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life in atonement for sin and opened the life gates that all may go in. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Great things he has taught us Great things he has done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Somebody should give him praise this morning. Great things he has done. What a great God we serve. What a powerful model for praise. To begin to give thanks and praise to God for the mighty things he has done. It will build your faith. It will it will cause the devil to flee because God inhabits the praises of his people Israel. And I'm telling you, I've seen it again and again and again that in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the confusion, in the middle of the despair, in the middle of the pain, if you begin to recount the great things he has done, I promise you that the storm clouds will roll back, that the sun will begin to shine again, that there'll be a dance come back into your feet and a joy will spring forth in your heart because God does something about your circumstance when you give him praise. He is mindful of us, but he's also mighty for us. What does the Bible tell us? If God be for us, who can be against us? <laughs> is there anybody getting this this morning? I said, if God be for us, who can be against us? They overcame the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives even unto the death. We are overcomers through Jesus Christ. We have the power of omnipotence working in our behalf. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We should rejoice because not only is he mindful of us, he is mighty for us. He works in our behalf. The third thing that she says, not only is he mindful of us and mighty for us, <laughs> some of you need this right now, he's merciful toward us. <laughs> I said he's merciful toward us. You're a brat sometimes. And he's merciful toward us. You know the difference between grace and mercy, don't you? Just to give it some context. Grace is when God gives us a blessing we don't deserve. Mercy is when he withholds the judgment that we do deserve. How many of you are glad for a merciful God? How many of you are glad you didn't get everything you had coming to you? How many of you would say, growing up, you didn't get enough spankings? <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 that's not what I was going to say. She recognizes the mercy of God. In verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Then goes on to talk about his mightiness, but let's drop down to verse 54. Why has he done all these mighty and mindful things? He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Have you followed Israel at all in scripture? They never could get it right. 
God feeds them manna and they complain that they don't have the food from Egypt. I mean, he does all of these mighty works for them and delivers them from their enemy. And the book of Judges is deliverance and then degradation and bondage and then deliverance and degradation and bondage over and over and over again. If God had not been merciful to Israel, there would be no Israel. If God hadn't been merciful to you, there'd be no you. If God hadn't been merciful to me, there'd be no me. And sometimes it might help us to remember that when we look at a broken world filled with <laughs> foolish people doing foolish things, ungodly people doing ungodly things, that we can be thankful that God who is merciful toward us is also merciful to a lost and dying world. And I often will have people ask me, well, why hasn't God judged America yet? It's because he's merciful and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't judge the hand of God by what you see. Judge him by the revelation of scripture and understand that the mercy he's extended to you, he's going to extend to others because the goal isn't that every Everybody pay what they owe. It's said everybody experience the grace they don't deserve. And they'll never experience the grace they don't deserve if mercy doesn't hold back the hand of judgment from time to time. Mary says from generation to generation, God has been merciful. He's merciful to me. And he honors his promise. He was merciful to Israel. He was merciful to Abraham and his descendants. And, and we talk about Abraham as that great man of faith. But how many of you know he did some pretty bad things? He lied. Said that his wife was his sister. And the king takes her as his own. And because God's merciful to Abraham and to Sarah, the king has a dream that stops him before he defiles her. We could talk about all the mistakes that Abraham made. But Abraham was a man who trusted God, was the friend of God, and recognized the mercy of God. So please hear me this morning. I don't care how spiritual you are or how much you grow or if you walk on water, cast out devils and take up snakes. I don't care what you do. You and I are going to need his mercy from time to time because we're going to take a wrong step. We're going to say the wrong thing. How many of you ever had words come out of your mouth? You wish you could swallow those back in? How many of you ever sent an email you wish you could call back? You have. I heard about him. Say, no, I didn't want that back. I meant it. You need God's mercy. His mercy, watch this. His mercy is a fulfillment of his promise, not a response to your performance. His mercy is the fulfillment of his promise. It's not based on your faithfulness. That's why it's mercy. That's why you can trust him. That's why you can come boldly before the throne of grace to attain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need because he is a merciful God. And when you, when you shake that bent finger of judgment in someone's face, just remember that you're also calling on a God of mercy. And you need to extend the same mercy to others that's been extended to you.
How many of you ever had someone do you wrong? Seven of you. The rest of you need to repent of lying. How many of you have ever had someone do you wrong? Let me see your hands. And it hurt you. Now just be honest. This is church. And you wanted them to pay. Yeah, I wanted them to pay. Until I saw the mercy of God. An ocean divine. A boundless flood. The mercy of God. She says that he remembered Israel, helped Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. I um, shared this numerous times, and I just felt like I wanted to do it again, so I asked myself, and I said it'd be okay. But I struggled for a long time as a young adult. Bible college, I hated the verse that said, he that loves much, or he that's forgiven much, loves much, and he that's forgiven little, loves little. I just thought that was unfair. And I was at the altar, it was a prayer time, and I'm just talking to God, like, what... If, how, how am I going to understand your love if I've not, I've not done bad things? I wasn't a bad kid. I, I, I made up a testimony once as a joke about how I smoked weed. There are grass clippings that I rolled up in toilet paper and burnt my fingers. It didn't, it didn't work. I, didn't, I hadn't murdered anybody. I hadn't stolen anything. I didn't have a teen challenge testimony. So God, I suppose from that, you want me to go out and do something horrible so that I can be forgiven much and know how much you love. Listen, that's one of the issues with church kids. Anybody relating to my story? Four of us. I know the rest of you are horrible, but there are a few of us <laughs> that didn't do terrible things. And, I, and God gave me a picture. He lets me see things. I grew up on an acreage part of the time. And how many of you ever seen an old board that was mashed down into the mud? And you know there are things living under there. So while I'm praying, I see one of those old rotted boards. And I kick that board over. God, let me see myself. Kick that board out of the ground. And I saw all those, those creepy crawler things all moving around like crazy in there. And I heard him say... That's who you were. The only difference between you and the vilest offender isn't you didn't have it in your heart. It's that you didn't have opportunity. And I forgave you as much as I've forgiven the vilest of sinners, because all of that was in you in the fallen nature. And had you been given opportunity... I felt broken. All I can tell you is that God moved into the room and he crushed me. I laid there broken when I saw all of that garbage that was inside of me that I just hadn't had an opportunity to act on. It's the only time in my life 
that God directed me to a verse of scripture that I hadn't read. I don't believe that that's how God likes to move, put it in you so he can pull it up for you to use it. But I'm, I'm there and I'm just saying, God, how could you ever, someone as proud and arrogant as I've been, and I felt like he said, go to Psalm 136. And I thought, yeah, right. Randomly go to Psalm 136. And I shoved it away and I'm, because I wasn't done feeling bad. <laughs> so I cried some more, Psalm 136. And I thought, no, that's just me. Third time, I thought, well, what would it hurt to look, right? So I turned away. Do you know how every verse in Psalm 136 ends? Every verse in the King James ends this way. For his mercy endures forever. Verse after verse after verse, it says, for his mercy endures forever. And I had a moment when I understood how much I had been forgiven and how much his mercy had been extended to me. And from that moment on, I loved him more because it wasn't, wasn't that I hadn't done awful things. I didn't understand how much I'd been forgiven. And sometimes we rise up in our self-righteousness and we forget where we were and how much he's forgiven us and in that moment, I'm telling you, when the presence of God comes on you, it won't exalt you and build you up. What will it do? It will cause you to see how merciful he has been toward you. He's a merciful God. He's a merciful God. Why do I have joy? I have joy because I know he's mindful of me. I have joy because I know that he is mighty for me. And I have joy because I know he's been merciful toward me. <clears throat> In that encounter with God, Mary has been transformed. The spirit of God descends on her and she prophesies because all generations will call her blessed. Do you know when the Bible says that she's highly favored that same Greek word is used, construction is used in one other place. It's in the book of Ephesians where it says he's made you accepted in the beloved. In other words, you are highly favored as much as Mary was highly favored because the same God that Mary experienced is mindful of you. The same God that Mary experienced is mighty for you and the same God that Mary experienced is merciful toward you because of that I can say from today all generations will call me blessed because of what God does in our lives are you hearing me this morning where's your joy pull it out rejoice in his goodness my soul my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I think he's worthy of some praise. How about you? Let's stand together and let's magnify the Lord. To God be the glory the great things he has done so loved he the that he gave us his son who did his life on a torment for sin 
tonight and support our kids at 5:30 while they share their story about the birth of Christ. Amen. If you love Jesus one more time, let me hear your hands. Amen. God bless you. 
God bless you.